y'all. Welcome to Let's Talk About Thrones. We are here talking about episodes 205. I believe this one is called The Ghost of Harrenhal. But I don't know, because I always mess up these pronunciations. <laughs> and episode 206, The Old Gods and the New. And holy crap, a lot happened in these two. I am Richard Gunther, and I am here talking with my buddy, Anthony. And Anthony, we are, I'm really kind of bummed. You know, we kind of joked about the last time that Mm. we were missing Jenny, but Jenny is seriously not here this time. So we're going to just admittedly do this without her and not try and pretend that she's just being really quiet this time. Yeah, no, uh, the tears in her eyes are real, and uh, so is her absence. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it is. It is. And, and you know, I laugh. But seriously, we love doing the show together. We mm. love bringing our respective different perspectives. I've never seen the show before. So mm. everything that I'm bringing to the conversation is from the newbie perspective. And yeah, all have probably figured it out because I'm asking the stupid <laughs> questions. And... Yeah, you're asking all the questions that'll get answered next episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then, you know, of course, Anthony here, he has seen this before. Mm-hmm. And so he's looking at it from a more, I don't know if this is even a word, scrutinous eye. He is taking a deep look at how it's produced and if it all makes sense from mm. an overall storyline perspective. And Jenny... When she's here, which is most of the time, but you know, twice now, we won't, you know, I'm not keeping count, but twice now, <laughs> she has missed, and she looks at this from someone who not only has seen it multiple times, but also has read the books. Mm-hmm. So we're going to miss that particular perspective this time around, but I think, as we did last time, I think we can carry this along ourselves, and so we're going to get right into it. So let's start, Anthony, with Ghost of Heron Hall. First of all, am I pronouncing that right? Yes, it is Heron Hall. Yes. All right. Okay. So <laughs> a bunch of shit happens oh in this gosh. episode. I so, mean, we start off in just like the first couple seconds with the the ghost monster from Lost killing someone. <laughs> well, we we were introduced to this last time when when the uh, the the birthing scene happened, and this time it, it pays off. It's not something we have to wait around uh, five seasons to understand, like the ghost or the the, the smoke monster in Lost. Um, <laughs> they they, they kind of explain it right off the bat, and yeah, th- this is okay. So real quick before we really get into this, we talk about how. Uh, episodes come in pairs and these two episodes are a slight a slight modification of that because these two episodes and the next two episodes could be one long feature length episode because yeah it's just it's it's the filler information and it's continuing the storyline but there's so many like strike points that happen but it's all just done in stride and it's this beautiful combination so um back to heron hall um, or, or the ghost of Heron Hall. Renly is dead, killed by the smoke monster from Lost. And I, I I'm kind of bummed by this. I mean, here we yeah. had this, here we had this genuinely nice guy, who also happens to be good looking and gay, and now <laughs> he's 
He's just dead. He's, he's gone. Tri- he's striking all points and, for you and gone. <laughs> yeah. Like, like what, what the hell? Okay, apparently, it does not pay to be the good guy. I think we are, I, you know, I have not been at this all that long, Anthony, but <laughs> the message to me so far, with the exception of Tyrion, because, you know, he, for some reason, has... I don't know the the support of all the gods behind him, but it, it does not pay to be the good guy in mm. this story. Uh, yeah, not necessarily. No, no. The, the more the more you're looking out towards other people and for other people, the more likely you are to not be looking out anymore because you're dead. Um, that, that, <laughs> that does seem to be a common thread. Yeah, yeah. So so he dies right from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And and we have you know the morning we have the we we have uh, you know the golden fist or whatever the hell he is over at the Marvel universe all stressed out about the fact <laughs> that he's dead and we have his uh, I'll put this in air quotes wife mm. queen mm-hmm. uh, consort whatever you would call her who is also just kind of dealing with the fact that, okay, I'm nobody now, but I really wanted to be somebody. And in the meantime, and here's the thing that I think is so interesting, is that, and again, I'm going to screw up this name, but Brienne, is that that the right way to pronounce this? Yeah, Brienne, yeah. Brienne of Tarth. Brienne of Tarth is kind of assumed to be guilty Mm -hmm. because... It was her and Catalin in the room. That's right. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and everybody knows Catalin to be too too noble and too honorable to have done something like this. Meanwhile, Brienne of Tarth is this. Oh, she's already a monstrosity in that she's this very large woman that's beaten down right. all these men. So she's already right. the odd person out. So of course the blame would go to her. Plus she was she was the guard on duty when it happened so that that just brings even more so even if she didn't kill her then you kill him then you let it happen so then you're still guilty there um and catlin rightfully get, uh, convinces her to leave to bail to let's just get out of here there's no surviving this for you now we might as well go and and fight another day essentially and this is the start of something that I think is really interesting, which is a relationship. And again, I've only seen two episodes of this, but mm. a relationship of Brienne and Catalin, mm-hmm. where they both bring very, very different offerings and skills and talents and interests to the table, mm-hmm. but they support each other. Along the way, and and basically, and I'm getting ahead of myself in the storyline here, but they make a pact to support each other, which I think yeah. is kind of out of the blue and really interesting. Well, you, you have two very honorable people in a position that neither one of them wants to be in, that neither one of them are guilty of, and both of them could be looked at very poorly. So it, it kind of groups them together like that, and then... When you have that and you have um, you have this system, this honor system that they have and, the, and you know the, the, the hierarchy and everything else, it's kind of a natural pairing. And the really amazing part of this, and you'll see this as, as the season goes on and as the series goes on, the bonds and the relationship that they're building right now changes the history of Westeros. 
And it's amazing that it begins in just this awkward situation where this guy that everybody likes dies and nobody around is at fault. And I, just all the things you mentioned there, I think, are just fascinating, right? Like, here is this unlikely pairing of people as a result of this event. And in fact, has, has everybody watching this unfold really thought through just how parallel their stories are, how mm-hmm. similar these two characters are. I don't know that I would agree with you necessarily from a first viewing that Catalin is necessarily as looked down upon as Brienne is because Catalin has... Catalin already kind of has some stature, mm-hmm. but it's not with everybody, right? Mm-hmm. And she is the enemy to some. Mm-hmm. So... You know, that that's a little bit of an unusual situation. But the fact that they get together, I love that. I think it's brilliant. And I'm really interested to see where and how that plays out. All right. Cut to the Lannisters. Because, you know, we love to find out what's going on over in drama land. So, and real, in, real quick, before we go oh, there, I have one oh, thing that I have to mention. My quote of the, right. of the episode. Okay. Um, really? We're yeah. like five minutes in. Quoted yes. the episode? Yes. All right. Because after Renly's killed, Littlefinger talks to... Um, uh, <laughs> I can't I can't remember her name now. Why can't I remember her name? This is so awful. Um, to Renly's wife. Right? Yep. And Littlefinger says, do you want to be the queen? Or do you want to be a queen? And she says, no. No. I, I want, want to be, to be the, the queen. Queen. Yeah. Yes. And that yes. that right there, because <laughs> I've, I've talked about her drive before, and that right there just shows she's not backing down. This Her husband, the king, a king, just left, just died, just is gone. And so she loses all of her stature other than just being a lady of Dorne. And that doesn't change her perspective on how she's driven to acquire her goals. And I think it's just, it's, it's awesome. And I think it's the, the line of the show. And we talked about her uh, kind of prowess and intelligence in the past, but I don't know that I personally have noticed that she necessarily had that kind of drive. Mm. Yeah. So I think that's interesting because I don't think that so far her character really portrays the audacity that that kind of drive would require right. so Marjor- marjorie tyrell that's that's her name marjorie tyrell yeah okay um, all right so I'll, I'll be watching that all right yeah. now can we cut to the drama we, 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 of the lannisters? I, I will allow you to cut to the drama of the lannisters all right because <laughs> this is just so much fun right Tyrion, my favorite character my absolute favorite character in this series thus far mm-hmm. is um Trying to figure out and talk to his sister about um, defending the know, city. Are we really prepared, right, for war? Are we in a position that we know how to defend ourselves? I'm not convinced that we really are. Mm-hmm. And she's like, "Ah, psha, we're fine. Don't worry about it." And this is amazing because this is her with another power play where I have the cards and you're not even in the game. So why are you bothering to talk to me right now? And very quickly, Tyrion turns that around on his head. 
Right. Oh, and by the way, it's exactly the opposite way. Yeah. Yeah. Now it's right. now it's the other way around. And thank you very much for giving me what I needed by not giving me anything at all. Crazy. Crazy. So, Absolutely so, crazy. So now Tyrion, no, Tyrion finds out about this wildfire. This green substance is ex- exceptionally flammable that they've been stockpiling in preparation for the defense of the city, even though they don't necessarily have a good plan for it. And Braun brings up the fact that, you know, these panicked citizens of, of um, King's Landing, it, they're, they're, they're going to panic and they're going to burn themselves down. And that brings Tyrion to think, okay, well, how else can we use this? And those wheels start churning, and we don't really see the, the resolution of that, though, the full process of that. But you can definitely see the look on, uh, on Tyrion's face. He's like, hmm. And this just goes to show how awesome the pairing of Bronn and Tyrion are. They, they balance yeah. each other out so well. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that happens in a moment akin to that final scene of The Lost Ark, where he looks down this endless hallway of nothing but this outrageously flammable substance that we Mm. kind of, for lack of any other analogy, have to kind of akin to dynamite. Yeah, essentially, yeah. Or maybe even ferrite. Something really, really liquid form and bad. (laughs) Yeah, really bad. Oh, and by the way, they have shit tons of it. Yeah, yeah. A massive, massive amount of it. (laughs) Um, So, again, points to Tyrion for kind of being on top of things, wondering how they're going to take care of themselves and trying to figure out what information is available that is going to help them along those lines. Meanwhile, his oblivious sister Mm. just believing that, no, 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 everything's fine. Don't worry about it. We're good. We're good. We're the Lannisters. We live in this wonderful land, and we're good. We're fine. We have plenty of people. She's literally trying to do anything she can to keep Tyrion out of any sort of power or or influence in any way, and it just completely backfires because she doesn't know that Tyrion has this little spy that that you know that's this inside the queen. Well, but my perception is not only that, but also again as a first watch that she's so naive that she doesn't believe that they have anything to worry about. Mm. And I don't know if that's true or not, but that is. That that's the I I believe that that's kind of the perspective that they're drawing right now. Yeah. And I think and and frankly I think that that's lovely and wonderful because it just <laughs> it just plays to her ignorance of the reality of things. And and that really comes crashing through in the next episode, but we'll get to that here in a little bit. All right. So, um talking through a little bit more of this we have uh, a, a couple of other things going on in this episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a scene, actually a really good scene, as there are so many good scenes in these two episodes with Arya. And <laughs> Arya, the girl, mm-hmm. yo girl, who, <laughs> I don't know how I missed this last time, but it 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 was Tyron who took her on. Yeah. Tywin takes her on as his cupbearer and basically brings her 
into this inner inner circle of all this information, all these plans, and all these events that are going on all around right. it. So she, right. it, it is quite possible that Arya Stark is the 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 Stark with the, the most knowledge of worldly events at this time of the story. <laughs> That's right. No, no, not quite possible. That is exactly what is happening right now. That is exactly the situation. So she's more informed than anybody, but not necessarily in a position of letting anyone know about it. Right. And and and, and not I necessarily in a position of knowing what it all means either. Because remember, she's only like twelve or whatever. She's you know she's not she's not a, a grown adult that can kind of add the pieces together and take separate pieces of information add it all together. She's still kind of looking at it at the narrow front of I want to go home and how do I protect my brother? She's not really looking at the whole world thing, um, even though there are worldly elements in all of these talks that she's privy to. So I'm not entirely convinced of that, and the reason that I'm not entirely convinced of that is that they show a number of scenes with her where she's clearly listening in on conversation that's happening around her, mm -hmm. taking it all in and trying to figure out what it means. And maybe she doesn't necessarily know what it means yet, but what she does know is that she is privy to information that she shouldn't have, mm -hmm. and she's trying to figure out what she can do with it, right? Right. So I think that's fascinating. And I also think it's fascinating that that um, Tywin in his... In his you know, ignorance of the situation, which I have to assume may not be the case. He may be playing her, but in the the situation that they're in right now, he's kind of a little bit taken by her. He's mm -hmm. taken her in and encouraging her and and letting her like become closer and closer to his day to day meetings and goings on and talking with her about, you know, okay, well, how did you learn to read? Oh, my father taught me. Oh, really? What did your father do? Well, he was the he, he was the um, hand of the king until your your other son killed him. But um, no, 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 no. no. <laughs> uh, what, what instead she says is he was a stonemason. Mm. Oh, well, how did he know to read? Oh, he taught himself. And yeah. and he accepts that. He accepts yeah. that as an answer. Oh, he was a very smart man. But see, so, at that point, uh, you start I, to get the feeling that Tywin is is understanding that she's not giving up the whole truth. Well, yes. I, I do. I def And that's why I said, I don't know if he's playing her hmm. or if he is, uh, you know, just kind of genuinely interested in her. But... It's a it's a really interesting relationship, and I love where this is going. And as a result, we see that you know she's in a position where she has opportunities, and one of the opportunities that comes to light in episode two hundred five is that she gets a chance to avenge people. Mm -hmm. And right. I, this is my first question to you because I don't understand who is it that comes to her and offers that you get three names and I'll take care of them for you. Uh, Jakin Hakar is one of the three people. I don't even know what that word was that you said. Was that a name? Yes, that, that's his name. <laughs> Jakin Hakar. 
Hagar. He is one of the three people stuck in the wagon when she escapes. Um, when 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 the raid comes to to uh, kill the people going up to up to the north uh, to the wall, when she escapes that, at one point, um, she looks back and saves three people in a cart that's gets on fire. One of those three people is Jaken Hagar. So this is okay. this individual, and he says, "Well, you saved three lives." The 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 gods the gods should have had so now he he needs paid so now you get three deaths to pay for the three lives immediately she goes and says okay well i don't know this one guy's name but and again i should just watch the show with the freaking captions on but i think what she says is i know him as the tickler mhm and he says okay i don't need any more and, and within a short period of time, some dude is dead, and she knows, oh, this guy's for real. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, and and that, that's, uh, that's, that's part of a continuing plot that goes on for these, like you said, these next four episodes, this big chunk. Um, I think it's important to, to look back real quick, and at one point, uh, Braun, or not Braun, um, Bran has a dream of Winterfell about the waves crashing against the gates of the castle and then gets information that, that a, a town in Winterfell in the, in the land of Winterfell is being attacked. So he sends out, um, sends out 200 of his men with Sir Roderick Castle, um, to go squash this, this attack on this town, thus leaving Winterfell practically defenseless. Yeah, and so this is really interesting, right? Because a couple things happen here. One, holy crap, this little kid is is actually Taking not charge. a terrible leader, right? right like right. he knows he needs to take charge, and he's doing a damn good job of it. And this is not the first time that we saw him do this. Mm-hmm. Now, strategically, he probably makes the wrong decision because. His decision ultimately puts his 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 um, community at risk. Yep. Of the very thing that he foresaw, right? And that's what's that's what's so ironic there. Yeah, and, and one of the things is you know the waves crashing against in uh, the the gates of, of Winterfell. And Osha says, oh, that's just a dream. The seas are hundreds of miles away. But when she says that, if you watch her face, you can see that she understands a little bit differently, that it's not literal waves crashing against the gates of of, of Winterfell. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then we go to the Fist of the First Men. Um. No, 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 <laughs> no. You are skipping so far ahead. So anyway. I am going to... I am going to rewind a little bit because okay. we have visited our dear friend Daenerys. And she and her baby dragons mm-hmm. are just looking so friggin' adorable. <laughs> and they live in this beautiful, wonderful oasis of a world in the middle of the red God knows what the hell it is. And for some reason, and I, I don't understand what this is. Her servants 
are cattily fighting over her. Mm. What the hell's going on there? It, there's always a pecking order. There's always um, different people with different thoughts. Some of them have different suspicions of the Carthians, and others want to actually like enjoy what the Carthians are providing. So there, there's there's these different views between, um, be, especially between her lady servants and uh, Jorah Mormont about how much they should trust the Carthians and how much they should indulge themselves in what Carth offers versus preparing to leave and move on and, you know, have an established base. Okay. So I get that. And I get that maybe there is some strife with Jorah and, and the higher levels, but I'm a little bit confused that her, that in theory, her two, for lack of a better word, servants who are at roughly the same level Mm. are, very clearly fighting with each other mm-hmm. for her favors. And that just struck me as, first of all, the first time that we've seen that. And odd, because why is that relevant now? Like, why all of a sudden is that important? And I thought that was kind of strange. And I don't know that that played out in the story that we saw between 205 and 206. No, it plays a little bit into 207 and into 208 but um it, it's really that that internal argument over what their best course of action is and who they should be following and and who who they should ally themselves with and everybody has a different opinion and when you have that many different opinions and everybody's suspicious of everybody you start getting the infighting and it, and really i think that scene is there to show that yeah they're safe in the in the uh, in the walls of Karth, but they're not uh, free from from the disturbances in the in the problems that they've had. Okay, it, all right. Not that everything is sense. peachy in the kingdom. That makes sense. Also, by the way, and you'll appreciate this given the conversations that we've had in the past. I did notice, in fact, that suddenly Karth appears in the little. Uh, matchbox animations at the start of the series. See? Told you. <laughs> yeah. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. That's kind of cool. I like that. All right. So I know we're skipping some stuff, but while it's still in the same storyline, later in the day, presumably, then we see that Daenerys gets a proposal. Mm-hmm. From, the, uh, and I forget his name because it's like some long three or four word name, but basically the the black guy who was the person who was responsible for her getting into Karth to begin with. Zorro. Basically a blood oath to get her in, to allow her into um, uh, Karth. He proposed to her and mm-hmm. said, you know what? You should marry me. I can give you whatever you need. And she's kind of like, huh? And and trying to figure out where this is coming from. And this also comes after some really weird and bizarre scene where they're at a reception and some warlock kind of tries to come in her favor and shows off by appearing in multiple places at once. And I 
just kind of wrote that up as, okay, maybe he just has a twin, but whatever. And we we end up basically with, once again, uh, Jorah is advising her. And Jorah is saying, you know, this might not be the right thing for you. You may need to be more disciplined in how you move forward. Mm-hmm. You can't just take every promise that everyone offers. And, and she turns that around on him, saying, yeah. well, what about the promises you've offered? And right. kind of kind of kicks it back at him like that. And, and, and this is kind of kind of to be expected. We knew eventually uh, that something between Danny and and uh and Jorah would have to there'd have to be some kind of clashing where she started to realize he was so attracted to her not just not just to her her name and and you know her position that her that she should be holding but also to her. You know. And this comes after said dude whose name I don't know. Zaro. Pretty much says to her but you know that your advisor's in love with you, right? Right. I mean, those aren't the words that he says. That's actually kind of like an, an amalgamation of the conversation that they have. But she denies. She's like, oh, no, 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 he's my advisor. Mm-hmm. And he's like, no, he's in love with you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and somehow either she didn't see it or she didn't want to admit that she saw it. And so that kind of comes to a head in this final scene here. Yeah. Um. And 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 that's a that's uh, there's always that tension between uh, Jora and and Danny and it, it plays out in different ways at different points in the story but this is like the first time that it, it gets thrown in Danny's face. Yeah, yeah, it was it was interesting, very interesting. So, is there anything else in two hundred five that we need to go over or? Do Just, we really carry into the next episode now? One one thing. Um, north of the Wall, they're at the Fist of the First Men, which is this place where the First Men first put up their first camp or whatever. It's, oh, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. kind of a shady yep. story. Um, it becomes yep. it becomes really important later on, but for now, it's kind of like just just the introduction to a, to a location. Uh, importantly, and, though, this is where John splits off from the main party to go with Corn right. Halfhand, um, because Corrin is going to go kind of behind enemy lines and scout ahead for the main party. This is one of those points where the story really takes a turn, but you don't understand the gravity of it for a couple episodes. And, and for all intents and purposes, and they talk about this, but for all intents and purposes, this is the point where he becomes a ranger. Essentially, yes. Yeah, yeah, um, and it, it's only by Corn's Corn's uh, saying, "Hey, yes, I'll I'll take him on." Not necessarily um, any other any other major decision. This wasn't like something. Oh well, John's elevated to this level. It's kind of a you know, Sam comes in and says, "I'll take care of I'll take care of his duties while he's gone." You know, and it's like everybody kind of teams up to let John go. No one person wanted him to go. But all of them kind of knew this is where John needs to go, and right. so he, so he goes yeah. off into the into the into the wilderness with Corn Halfhand, this legendary right. ranger of the Night's Watch. And that's the beauty of it, right? Is that the like the rest of them, the the other rangers and 
they kind of ne- I don't even know what the right word is, but neglectfully, I don't know if that's the right word, but it, it's not like they wanted to make snow a ranger, but they're like, okay, fine. And he was otherwise committed to other obligations. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, no, you have to do this other stuff. But no, Sam's like, nope, I can do that for him. Mm-hmm. So he's available to do this. And it's like, all right, fine. You're and, a ranger, and, whatever. And, and again, as Jenny and I were telling you before, Sam pushes this story so many different times in a direction <laughs> that you don't expect. Like, yeah. Every time Sam's involved with a decision, you don't expect the outcome. You know, and it, it's, it's, this this low key character that's kind of unassuming to begin with, and you know just getting beat right. up on, but he's a driver behind this entire epic tale. It's it's amazing, and I think yep. that's uh that's pretty much the end of of episode two o five. All right, so open on episode two o six, and what do we got? We got Theon taking Winterfell, the waves yeah, the splashing hell? against the walls of Winterfell. This guy, you know, we knew this guy was scum. He's been yeah. scum the entire time. He's been conniving. We didn't know what he was up to. And he just comes in and he claims Winterfell. Mm-hmm. And, oh, by the way, surprisingly, because he actually has some, you know, brawn behind him because he's a useless wimp, but he has some of his thugs kill some of the guards at Winterfell, and it's just like, where? Seriously, dude, who the fuck do you think you are? <laughs> yeah, and, and this is—you kind of find out who he is because, um, so uh, he goes in and sentences one person to death. Says you are going to die because, well. Um, you you're 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 saying that I'm not the rightful rightful ruler of Winterfell now, and you're you're no, actually. So let's let's back up there a minute, right? Like he doesn't actually sentence him to death. What he says is, you are going to pay, hmm. and his advisor. I don't hmm. know who he is because I'm new to this, but someone whispers in his ear, "No, no, no, dude, if you're gonna be respected." You need to put him to death. Yeah, and it's 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 Sir Roderick Castle, the one that left to go defend the other town, has come back and challenges Theon, spits in his face, and thus Theon goes to behead him um, with all of his might and all of his power, and essentially <laughs> and does a his, terrible job. Turns his neck into hamburger meat as he slowly kills <laughs> Sir Roderick Castle. Um, oh my god, that was like the worst beheading ever. Yeah, it was, uh, it, and it's, it's it's disgraceful, and it doesn't prove the point that Theon needs proven. It actually proves quite the opposite. Right, um, it's it's just a mess, and and all of this, of course, is happening in front of uh, Bran and Rickon and Hodor and everybody else, and it's just it's just a bad situation. It's it's awful, and it's really showing Theon's true character. Um. Yeah. As a as a useless weasel, yeah, yeah. Um, so then we move on to Rob Stark, <laughs> and and honestly, I didn't even notice the scene because I'm like, oh god, here we are. Who cares? 
Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, Rob is basically starting to talk to Talisa, this, uh, this, this woman from, uh, Esso somewhere. And, um, his mom, Catelyn comes in. She, she's returned back to his camp. I want to know how she knows where his camp is, but, but nobody else can find his, like, it's just, it's kind of strange. But anyway, um, I'm sure she's got like a, a, a special powers to know where her son is. Right. Um, yeah, and this is when when things start getting really interesting because Roos Bolton, who is one of one of Rob Stark's bannermen, said they find out about Winterfell, and he says, "Well, I can send my bastard son Ramsay Snow up to Winterfell to get it back from Theon, and will he'll hold it there until you return." And uh, he he's he's constantly says no. He just he says that that's not gonna that's not gonna work. We have to return back to Winterfell ourselves and reclaim it. If we can't hold the North, no one can. And it's kind of this little battle in between them. Um, well, what's interesting here is, in in my opinion, this is another example of, you know, we see Rob as the surprisingly good leader, right. Who then occasionally makes these kind of stupid, heart-driven, uh, not decisions necessarily, but he wants to follow his heart. And here, his mother steps in and says, "No, you don't. You're you're the king. You don't get to just go do everything yourself." Right. So then Rob finally agrees let uh let Roose Bolton send his his bastard Ram- Ramsay Snow and says under one condition you keep Theon alive and when asked why Ramsay uh, uh, Rob says because I want to look him in the face before and ask him why before I, I execute him myself um and it, it it's it's this moment of of kind of clarity in emotion you can see the anger and frustration on Rob Stark's face, and this call—it's—it's it's a good call. Keep him alive, let him face the justice of the person that he betrayed. But it's also riddled with emotion. That's just not the strategic move to make, and it's—it's—I don't know—it's—it's it's, it's an awkward scene. I thought. Yeah, it, it is, and it is again. Like I said, you know, for whatever reason, and I kind of fall into this category. No one really seems to like. The fact that Stark, or, sorry, the fact the fact that Rob Stark is actually a fairly good leader, and mm. that he is a fairly strategic thinker, and then every once in a while he thinks with his heart, and it kind of reinforces that, yeah, this is why we don't like him. But I I don't know if that's it. I don't know if that's that is all there is to it. Okay. Keep in mind how his his brain sometimes loses to his heart and it costs him every time. So just keep that in mind. <laughs> all right. Uh, that That's not foreshadowing or a spoiler at all. At Spoilers! All. all right. Any way, shape, or form. Not at all. all right, now, so uh, we jumped ahead because so much has happened in this episode. I have more notes on the events in this episode than any that we've talked about so far. And I didn't expect that. I really didn't expect that going into this because I felt like 205 
progressed things and created some and some interesting initial relationships and scenarios. But I did not expect that we were going to have so much happen. So let's let's go back to above the wall, and we have John, who is now in a position where he's like chasing some random redhead woman. I don't know who she is, but she's the enemy. Mm. And she's amongst a whole bunch of people who are, oh my God, like brilliantly and miraculously camouflaged mm. for their age. Well, like uh, Corn Halfhand and, uh, 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 no, not Rob. I keep wanting to say Rob. Corn, Corn and John and the, the ones that they're with came upon this camp. They go to take it. Um, for whatever reason, during the scuffle, uh, this redhead lives and. John is going to kill her, but he needs to take his time. So the others leave him there and she runs, he chases. So now he's separated from the group that he's separated from the group with. Right. <laughs> right. A little recursive there, but yes, you're right. And I, I, but I still, I can't get past the fact that they, that this, this group, whoever they were, you, you know, like the enemy of some sort. We don't know who necessarily. Mm-hmm. They are so well camouflaged in their environment, mm. like scientifically camouflaged <laughs> with the clothing that they're wearing of their time. I can't get past that. I don't yeah. know why. Because it's even apparent when they spend more intimate time together, the more time they spend together, he's in a position where he is repeatedly kind of having to either threaten her or try to kill her or decide to not kill her and just like, you know, try and live through the night. And the whole way they have this awkward relationship with each other where she knows damn well that he's not going to kill her Mm -hmm. because that's not his nature, right? right? Like he's not, he's not a killer. That's not, that's not, who he is and meanwhile she has nothing to lose because she should already be dead by rights so it's it's this power and all she does she just sits there and plays with him she toys with him uh uh, feasting upon his naivete and force feeding him the ways of the world that he never thought he would want to know yep all while traveling in this land that she's intimately familiar with and he's never seen and he's not and he is not. Exactly. Exactly. And so, again, we're kind of skipping a whole bunch of stuff here. But ultimately, he ends up in a position where to survive. And oh, my God, this is so cliche. How many James Bond movies have done this? But to survive, they have to share body warmth mm-hmm. because it's so freaking cold. Or at least, let's say, she convinces him mm-hmm. that they have to share body warmth. So he gives in, and they huddle together, and she just happens to be moving around a whole lot, just trying to get comfortable. She just keeps on moving her body because she can't just like settle. She's 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 a woman using her womanly ways to make sure that she is in a position of something of power. Oh, totally. And the thing that's interesting is he knows what's going on. He's just powerless to fight against it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So we don't really know how that ends. Hmm. We have to assume that Rob 
is the gentleman that he is, but we don't necessarily know coming out of this episode how that ends. And I think that's an interesting storyline. All right, cut back to our favorite folks, the Lannisters. And uh, (laughs) oh my God, the messes rebel Mm. against King Joffrey by throwing cow shit at him. And and this is so... uh, uh, quote of the episode for this episode comes at this point because as as the crowds are are shoveling in and they're trying to attack the king and the and um and basically the the entire consort right the 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 king the queen regent um Bronn is there Tyrion is there they're all there and they're all trying to get through the streets and and Tyrion is trying to direct them to safety uh meanwhile king joffrey is yelling a phrase. He yells a phrase that he should never yell. That is so indicative of of power gone wrong in this in this um, show. He yells, "Kill them! Kill them all!" Right? <laughs> you know, I'm trying to think. What are you talking about? Because all I remember is him yelling, "Kill them! Kill them all!" Yeah. <laughs> but but that that runs in perfect parallel to the Mad King saying, "Burn them! Burn right. them all!" Word for right. word, with just the method of death being more generalized in in yep. uh, Joffrey's, um, so they eventually get there, and they, of course, um, poor, poor, poor Stark girl gets separated from the crowd. Sansa yeah. is off Sansa in an alley caught. somewhere. She Sansa gets caught, and and she's basically like she is at she is two seconds away from being. Sexually abused, mm-hmm. and Cleon finds and rescues her at the last possible fucking minute, largely yep. prompted by Tyrion. By Tyrion, who's like, "Find Sansa. Sansa." Yep, exactly, and he does. He finds her, saves her in the nick of time, and once again, he goes from this gruff, mean, "I'm going to kill everybody. I don't care about anybody," kind of thing, to "Come along, little bird." Let's get you out of here. Yeah, but at the same time, then once he has her and deposits her with others to take care of, mm-hmm. then he's back to that gruff, oh, take care of the bird. Put her back in her cage. Right, exactly. It, it, it's just this dichotomy of, of the hound. <laughs> and it, I, 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 I love it. I love the character. I love the way it's portrayed. It's it's dead dead center on how the books portrayed him. And it's it's this wonderful uh, two sided coin, and, it, and you know, of course half his face is burnt off, so it's like this two face thing, you know. And it's it's always it's always yep. the same person, but it's two different aspects of the same person, you know. And he can flip the switch like that, and it's it's awesome, it's wonderful, and it's one of my favorite scenes. Yep, absolutely. All right, let's switch back to Daenerys. Daenerys, however, you, however they hell. You pronounce her name. And she, you know, doesn't necessarily want to marry the dude. And so she's appealing to other people. So she appeals to one of her other hosts for ships so that she can retake her throne. Mm-hmm. That doesn't go so well. Uh, no. No, He's he basically says you have nothing to give me and I didn't get here by giving away things for free. So he offers her what? Like a ship, one ship. Yeah. You can have a ship, and I need, by the way, some guarantees. Mm-hmm. 
Um, a dragon. <laughs> yeah, and and in fact, we just skipped ahead immensely because that is the end of this episode where suddenly her dragons are missing, mm. and we don't know who took them. Well, and, and most we of her, most someone, of her people are dead. The dragons are gone. Yeah, and she is in absolute and complete disarray. And we see someone shrouded in cloak, carrying the basket, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. screaming of the baby dragons. Mm -hmm. We hear that in the background. So, yeah, that's that's messed up. Now, there's other stuff going on, so we're not done yet, but... I mean, that was that was just kind of crazy. And, you know, what's interesting about this, we talk about these storylines that happen kind of twisted throughout the entire episode. But when you talk about them, you kind of have to talk about them in their their entirety because that's really the only way they make sense. And the viewer <laughs> has to piece these things together as they're watching. Yes, but if, the, problem, the problem with the, the way the show is, is designed is this is how the books are written, first of all. They're all written from different perspectives. So every chapter is from a different person's, different character's perspective. It's, it's designed that way so that you're in a scene with one character, that chapter will end, and you'll still maintain that same scene, but from a different character's perspective. And... Splitting the show up the way that they do, one, it destroys any any concept of time that you have, which is important, especially as the series goes on, because time frames are vastly different. Um, but it also kind of regales to that whole possibility that are you looking at it from the same point of view every time you cut back to Daenerys? You know, and this time it's more Daenerys focused. This time it kind of it focuses a little bit more on Jorah. And the way that they balance all that out, and I think it's I think it's really really well done. Although it is hard to retell the story in that in that manner. Yeah, no, it totally is. All right, bounce back to a scene where Tyron is taking on the guest of Mister Littlefinger. Yes, this is one of those scenes where. Of course, Littlefinger knows who Arya is, what she looks like. And she very skillfully and a little luckily manages to stay <laughs> just outside of his eyes um, and avoid his, his, his gaze just well enough to not be discovered, as far as we know. While, while they're talking about Stark business. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. About, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> As he's telling telling Tywin, as Littlefinger is explaining to Tywin, the situation with Catelyn Stark, with uh, with Renly, um, with Rob, and with Winterfell, and uh, like they're discussing all this information that is very very pertinent to Arya, she still manages just to stay just a hair out of vision. Yep, yep, and it's brilliant. It's a it's a wonderfully blocked and choreographed scene Mm -hmm. as someone who looks at the uh the production and and layout of a scene from how they blocked it and how they positioned the characters and everything this is just so brilliantly done i loved this scene i love 
the I don't even I don't think it's irony. I don't know what the right word is, but the the weirdness of Arya hearing all of this conversation that is so relevant to what's going on in her family mm-hmm. and trying to pretend like it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And oh, yeah. then when she has an opportunity running out and then ultimately getting caught. Mm. She gets caught and she calls in her second chit. Yes. As as a bailout plan instead of something to this is not something she planned. She she could have been very careful with these, but this is something she now has to happen. And he goes and tries to report in this uh this this uh man at arms or whatever, goes to report into Tywin that this Stark girl is carrying around this, these letters or whatever. And the knocks on the door. He says, enter the door opens and the guy just falls to the ground. <laughs> right. But sorry, the guy at your door is dead. <laughs> yeah. Ding dong. You're dead. Right. So, um, <laughs> that was awesome. And of course that, that puts the entire camp, uh, up at arms and everybody starts that, that make, makes a, a, a normally quiet camp at Heron hall suddenly very active and very agitated and questioning what's going on. Yep. So. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. That crazy. Crazy. All right. So, uh we already talked about Rob finding out about Greyjoy mm-hmm. and what he's doing and trying to take some action there. We already talked about Snow sleeping with the enemy. So, let's let's move on to now Theon who's an idiot <laughs> and <laughs> He, he he is appealed to by I don't even know her name. This this kind of like Osha. like uh Osha? Osha. Okay. This this free woman who they they ended up kind of finding and capturing and at one point in time uh they had given her kind of a whole lot of crap and now she's just kind of living among them mm-hmm. and now she appeals to him in her womanly ways mm-hmm. and oh by the way and have we seen this before full frontal yep yeah. full frontal yeah um this is uh this is one of those things where she knows theon well enough from her time with him before that she knows what drives him what you know what part of it is you know what what part of her she can bring forward to convince him of anything and for Theon that's sex that's that's what his major yeah, interest in, is in case we've been unclear about this like what drives him is his penis like <laughs> it clearly clearly his penis Which, and so there's, there's some major irony there but we'll we'll get to that later <laughs> I, so i'm not aware of said irony but i mean i don't know he he has a drive for the naked women, mm-hmm. and he's he's going after her and and uh, concedes to her, if you will, mm-hmm. and then she manages to basically get out and get the one thing that he clearly knew that she wanted and would not concede to her, which was a weapon, mm-hmm. and just goes kind of on a rampage and 
slashes people on her way out. Yes, and on her way out, she takes uh, Bran, Hodor, Rickon, Shaggy Dog, and Summer. All of them escape Winterfell. Poof. So here we have here we have the situation where this kind of you know ancillary character, right? Like who is this person? This random person that they found in the woods ends up being the savior of basically the remainder of the house in Winterfell. Yeah. <laughs> right? The house of Stark in Winterfell yep. and saves them so that they can escape. Mm-hmm. Crazy. Well, and, and and this comes down to so Osha's a wildling. She's north of the wall. You know these crazy people. They don't have any rules. They don't have any structure. This is one of the first times that you really see. No, they do. They do have a semblance of respect in the structure, and they're not just wild people because she knows that whether or not she's protecting House Stark or Winterfell or whatever, she's protecting children that that are in grave danger. They're in very right. real danger. She's protecting children. And that kind of, that's universal of, of anybody that has any kind of respect for, for life or for society in, in general. You're going to protect the children. She doesn't get anybody else out. She gets uh, the, the two young sons, their dogs, and the, the, the daft guy that, that helps out. You know, and, and that's, she does what's necessary and she doesn't even. There's no question about it. She's constantly, she's driven. This is what I'm going to do. This is my goal. And they get out of Winterfell. They succeed. And that's the other thing that you mentioned that I think is particularly notable. And I don't know that we discussed that before. Hmm. Among those that she helped free, the Direwolves. Yes. Yes. Summer and um, Shaggy Dog. Yep. So... Friggin' awesome. All right. There is one more scene that I think is worth mentioning here. And otherwise, I think we've done a fairly good job in covering 206. And that is the really heartfelt scene with Sansa mm. near Sansa the end, who just doesn't understand what the fuck just happened. Like, yeah. why do people hate her so much? Right. And, and, and Shay is trying to explain to her in, in this commoner way that it's not a matter of hating you. They don't have what you have. They know, they believe that you're hoarding it. And you are, you and everybody else in that procession, the queen, the king, everybody else are the faces of their misery. And again, one of the, one of those really, really strong quotes in this movie is, um, she wants to know who do you trust? And she says, um, don't trust anybody. It's safer that way. Yeah. And that, that's like short of, you know, we already talked about how the final scene of the episode was yeah. the dragons missing and the massacre mm-hmm. that preceded that. But that was the, the big final line here mm-hmm. was don't trust anybody anyone. And I think the thing that's interesting there is that, like, I'm a little bit confused by why, when she knows that the king is a madman and, and just not, you know, not someone to be respected, that the people don't like her. 
Like, how would she think any different? How would she think that the people don't assume she's with him when her whole persona has been to project as if she's with him so she won't get killed? Right. Um, And this really comes down to another way of showing just how naive and young Sansa is. You know, she's not she's not this this person with all this worldly knowledge. She's still trying to escape this idea that everything's going to be uh, uh, princes and princesses and flowers and feasts, and all the people will be throwing flowers at their feet as they walk down the road. And she's still trying to break herself from that fantasy. And this is just one more one more chip in that in that fantasy that comes crashing down at her face. Eventually, she'll break free from that fantasy and she'll understand the world as it actually is. But she's not there yet. Yeah. And and how? Like how? How is that? With everything she's been through, how is it that she doesn't have that sort of the realization? The realization, or or understanding, yeah, or. Uh, kind of recognition of her situation. I don't understand how she hasn't made that connection yet. But she still hasn't had like she hasn't had normal since since uh, the crossroads when when her wolf was killed. You know, she's not in a world of normal yeah. where you have normal experiences. Yeah. She is in a world where she is literally a pawn, and she's being played on all sides by everyone she sees. So she's she's not yet in a position where she can actually make any moves herself. She's still following the path that is given to her, that is force-fed to her this entire time. So there's not a lot of personal development that happens when everything that you do is being forced down your throat. I think that is a perfect closing line for this particular episode. Anthony, this, as always, has been... A shit ton of fun. Oh, yeah. I love talking about Thrones, and I love doing it with you. I wish that Jenny were here, but not for this particular episode. She will be back. She's not going anywhere. Don't worry. Don't anybody who's listening, don't worry. We are not losing Jenny. We're not. She has some life life going on right now, and we need, you know, we're just. We're letting her deal with her life, and that's how that needs to be. But we don't want to hold back in the meantime. And so the story continues. We are going to continue to carry the story forward. And, Anthony, I always love talking about Thrones and any other shit with you. So tell people how, if they want to find out more about what you do in your spare friggin' time, how they would, uh, you know, where where would they find that? The best place is really just ritualmisery.com. Uh, that's everything. Everything that links to me starts there. So just go over to ritualmisery.com. You can see all the other all the other projects that I do. You can find back episodes of this show. And uh, yeah, that's the best place to go for me. Ritualmisery.com. R-I-T-U-A-L-M-I-S-E-R-Y. It's almost like Mickey Mouse or something. Um, I'm, I'm going to come up with a little rhythm for that eventually. How about you, Richard? Where can people find more about you? 
That was a lot of letters, though. I don't know. <laughs> Is that Mickey Mouse? I don't know. All right, um, Yeah, you can find me also at Ritual Misery. No, no. I just feel like I've been there so often that that's probably where I live, but that's not the case. No, you can find me at the Digital Media Zone. And uh, yeah, I I edit that site and I talk about tech. I write about tech. I host a podcast. I host a couple of podcasts mm-hmm. other than this one. One is called Home On, and we talk about smart home technology, and there's some other stuff, too, and you are probably going to like it. So check it out. If you want to catch me on media, you know, like the social kind, <laughs> I am at Richard Gunther. What are you on the media of the social kind? Uh, uh, well, I have one that makes perfect sense. It's called at Ethan Kane, E-T-H-A-N-C-A-I-N-E. Yeah, that that's totally what I would have guessed. Yeah, that's, given that uh, your name is Anthony. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, but most importantly, of all of these, if you have feedback on this show or comments for this show, or you would like to let us know how we screwed something up, or if we really drove something home for you, oh, we totally, totally screwed something <laughs> up. I guarantee it. Tell us all about it. Let's talk about Thrones at gmail dot com. All right, cool. Thank you very much. We will be back in a week or so with the next episode of Let's Talk About the Bye. R-I-T-U-A-L-M-I-S-E-L-Y